This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. That's clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. Brought to you by lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome in, everyone. A coronation, if you will. This is it. Our 100th show, we have reached the century mark. I'd like to think there's plenty more to come. But it seems just like yesterday we kicked this thing off as Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and the rest of that group were gearing up for a Sunday evening contest out in Portland a few years ago. Now, here we are, back at you once again for show number 100. And the music really, uh, whenever I get an excuse to play classical music on this show, we will. Particularly my favorite coronation theme in human history. And here's a little fun question for our audience before we get things rolling here. Name who this coronation theme was for. Shoot it to me on Twitter at Celtics underscore beat or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics beat. Not sure what I'd give you for a prize. Usually it's tickets, autographs and stuff, but maybe this week for pride, I guess. But yeah, let's test your history. Feel free to name who this coronation theme was for because it certainly was not for me. Unfortunately, not for Larry H. Russell back here to host this very special golden episode of Celtics beat being brought to you today by Audible and Lynda.com. Obviously, our two great sponsors have teamed up with us to offer our great listenership, some great opportunities. Audible is a leading source online for audiobooks with over 180,000 titles to choose from in an array of different literary categories. And we are offering you a chance to grab your first audiobook for free. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics to sign up and claim your free audiobook. And check out lynda.com slash CLNS to sign up for a free 10-day trial for free online tutorials and array of different subjects. Because for this show, we talk about one subject, well, two, I guess, NBA basketball, but more specifically Boston, Celtics basketball. And because this is our 100th show, we have to get the most special guest to talk about the Celts, the lead owner of the organization itself, Wick Grosbeck. And usually I make the audience wait a little bit before we get to bring our guests on the air. Not this week. We got him here right now. Done some great work together in the past. I know you've contributed for some feature pieces that I've appreciated. But first time we've had you on this show, welcome on in. How are we doing? Glad to be here. Very glad to have you here. You know what? I've been asking this question to everyone we've had on the show recently, be it Jack McMullen, Gary Tangway, obviously some of your most loyal season ticket holders. May as well ask the lead owner of the team. Very broad question. No matter what happens from here on out, 
can we consider this 2014-15 campaign for the Boston Celtics a success? Well, I guess I can find some successful aspects to it. Yeah, there's been some good things that have happened. I think some uh, proof for recognition that we've really hired a, a dynamic and, and brilliant young coach. I'm excited about that. Uh, some guys really adding um, luster to their careers, you know, taking a step forward, whether it's uh, Tyler Zeller or Jay Crowder or Isaiah Thomas or Marcus Avery or, uh, you know, Kelly, Jared. There's lots of good things to look at, but, the, you know, we're at the boiling point of the season. We're trying to hang on to a playoff spot and we're trying to get into the playoffs. And, you know, there's, I, I'm not in the mood to, like, declare anything right now. I just want to see what happens. Yeah, it's just, I, it, was, it sort of got out to me because remember at the beginning of the season, there were sort of goals that were sort of set for the team. I remember reading, I think it was in the Boston Globe, Danny Ainge, talking about sort of improvement from a team standpoint, an individual standpoint. So maybe just a small follow-up to that. I mean, like you said, that certainly that individual improvement, do you think that that's certainly been there? Is that correct? I, I do. I feel like when I look at the guys, um, I think I think a lot of them have really taken steps forward and it's to their credit because they could have packed it in when when guys were traded away you know we were making trades we were accumulating draft picks bringing other people in who didn't necessarily plan on being here you know guys coming in from detroit guys coming in from dallas uh not sure they knew they were coming anywhere uh i don't think very many players ever liked to get traded and everybody pulled it together i think the attitude and the team uh, as, the way that they're playing as a team, moving the ball, diving on the floor, um, playing team defense. I mean, the way that's all working is uh, really fun to watch. That's sort of what I've been talking about that on the show recently. And we, we, you just mentioned Brad Stevens, obviously. And it's been just amazing that everyone, as we've talked about the success of the Celtics, particularly here in these last six weeks, I think that that, what you just mentioned about when players were getting traded, particularly in that stretch at the end of December and early January there, where, yeah, it could have been very easy for players to pack it in. We're not only just being traded, but, you know, the losses were piling up. And there's been so much praise that people have been heaping on Brad Stevens being at the other night in Toronto where he called that timeout and the effectiveness of the team moving the ball and everything. And I thought of all the things that I think is most impressive about Brad Stevens is how he's kept this team engaged, particularly through that very tumultuous stretch also, you can mention how there's really only been a few games this year where you've watched them and they've come out flat. I mean, the Cleveland game a few, like about a month ago, that Miami home game, and then back against Houston. There's really been only a few of those games. Is there anything else on the inside that I'm sort of missing here as an outside observer of how you know good of a job Brad's been doing as a coach? Well, I mean, I think you nailed it, and I just think, uh, you know, what I like is when I spend time with Brad on a plane or a bus or whatever on the road. I just went on the road with them for a few games uh, a week or two ago and spent some extra time with Brad and just getting to see how um, he's growing into the job. He feels confident and he should feel confident, but he's humble. You know, talk about a guy that says, I'm ready to learn anything. I'll take any suggestions. How can I do this better or not? Uh, I'm not saying he's asking me for those suggestions. I'm just saying he's open to people you know, whatever he can do, he's open to doing whatever he needs to do to be the best possible coach for the Celtics, and he loves it here. So, um, you know, thrilled with Brad, and uh, I think everybody's seeing it in play calling and points after timeouts and all that. Um, but it's 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 sort of morning, noon, and night the way he carries himself and the way the way he runs the basketball team. You know, it's a real pleasure to watch. 
He's definitely, that's what I've also really heaped on him as well, is just how pragmatic he really is. And obviously, with the success of the team over the last six weeks, it's really put a real big emphasis on the, the kind of job he's been doing. And he's actually been getting coach of the year consideration amongst some of his peers. I'm not sure if he's going to get it, especially with some of the jobs or how well, you know, Golden State very well might win 69, 68 games. Yeah, the guy's a first-time coach and he's, yeah. you know, setting a record for wins. You know, come on. I mean, that's <laughs> – but, but Brad's doing well. Yeah, he definitely is. And I would also say, I mean, we, we – a lot of people are definitely heaping praise on Brad Stevens recently, and for good reasons, but I think it's safe to say the players deserve some credit as well. You know, when we talked at the end of January and we were talking about, you know, the team, the wins really weren't there, but the team was still putting in a pretty good effort night in and night out. This wasn't a team that was just going through the motions. And you specifically mentioned names to me, such as like Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley, who you just actually recently gave the Red Arbach Award to, who really elevated the spirit of the team, and also Jay Crowder, who had just come over at the time from Dallas. This is, you know, despite being a young, inexperienced group, it seems to be a, a mature group. Are those the guys that have really grabbed this leadership mantle here? Well, I think uh, it's interesting. You know, there's no one leader, as you're pointing out. Uh, you know, I could add a few more names to the list just in recent weeks. You know, Kelly comes out. Kelly doesn't always portray uh, or seem sort of like the, the biggest, roughest guy. You know, he's a, he's a finesse player, you know, potentially. Well, he comes out with this incredible black eye, four stitches, and has a great game, and we win. Um, that's leadership. You know, that's where you earn a leadership role. And, um you know, Jared coming back early from a foot injury in, in better shape, losing weight, working out twice a day or more, and taking care of the rehab and the, the stimuli, you know, the electro stim on the foot and everything, you know, doing everything you need to do to uh, to heal that thing up faster. Those are a couple more examples of guys stepping up. You know, and you're seeing, you know, everybody's taking charges. Everybody's diving on the floor. It's just it's shared leadership. It's, it's kind of a group concept of leadership, which is odd, but uh, it's effective. I just want to briefly, briefly touch upon this because I want to move on because you meant you, you did mention Jared Sollinger's name. I remember a couple of years ago I had a, a conversation with Rich Gotham. Everybody was sort of criticizing Shaq that oh he's just you know not working hard enough. And Rich Gotham was like, no, this guy is like the hardest working member on the team. Is that sort of what, what I'm sort of seeing here with Sollinger? Because there have been a lot of people that have been criticizing him for quote unquote not working hard, but maybe are there issues with him that may not be as under control or he's not as educated in as to why. Maybe he's not where some people want him to be. I don't know. I, I'm going to let other people comment on Jared, other than to say I'm impressed with what he's done. He has made, uh, you know, strides. He's he's made progress over the last six, eight weeks as he's been trying to get back from this foot, and now he's back, and he looks better, and he's playing, you know, hard. And I'm happy with Jared. So that's where I'll leave it with Jared. Certainly respect that. That is a perfect way to finish that off. Definitely now want to transition here and talk about the greater picture and the grand scheme of things, because as much of discussion there is on whether the Celtics can find a way over these last final games of the season to grab a spot in the 2015 NBA postseason, there's just as much talk about this summer, free agency, possible scenarios or moves the Celtics can make. It's seemingly captivating everyone from Celtics fans, the local media. Before we get into that and the philosophies that you guys are going to be putting forth, I want to touch upon this because it's something that has really stuck out to me as an observer and obviously as a season ticket holder myself. I'm fortunate enough to get all the things the organization does for their paying customers. And one thing that jumps out to me is how transparent the Celtics and members of its organization are with their fans about the grand scheme of things here and what the end goal really is and how the team is actually trying to get to that end goal. 
Is this transparency, is that a hallmark of the organization that they're trying to make it a part of their message? Or is this just who you guys are, for lack of a better phrase? Well, I, I guess I, it, I, did, I never really gave it a thought. I mean, I think just being uh, transparent is one way of saying it. I guess a, a word that I would say that we're trying to be is authentic, just or, or straightforward or honest. So transparent, it all, it all goes together. Um, we're, we're not trying to kid anybody about what the goal is. I originally named the company Banner 17. Um, so that was the goal. And now I suppose I should rename it Banner 18 or 19 or 20. But we're all about Celtic pride on the court, off the court. We love the community work we're able to do with the Celtics. It's one of the biggest pleasures with this whole job and this whole ownership is being involved in the community um, with this amazing history of the Celtics and what we can do out there to, to try to help people. So, um, But in terms of on the court, we didn't think we were likely to win the NBA championship this year. We're, in fact, and then we traded away uh, Rajan and Jeff. And uh, very clearly, and you know, uh, trading away Paul and KG a couple of years ago for all these draft picks, clearly we're trying to get back to 18. And we're trying to do it the best way we can. And it, we're not saying it's perfect or that everything is right or or that uh, fans have to send us uh, bouquets of flowers, you know, because they're so thrilled with how it's all going. We Anybody can say a given trade is a great trade or a bad trade or wait and see kind of thing, but, but we're doing it the best we can. And we're really appreciative that fans are, you know, we're selling out the building again. People love watching this team, even though they're a young team and we're not scaring the very best teams in the league right now, but we're, uh, we're trying to scare them and we'll, we'll do our best. That's sort of, I think, one of the true benefits I think your organization has is just sort of how knowledgeable the general collection of the Celtics fan base is in that I think they definitely understand that. And I think, at least me, as a paying you know customer, I appreciate appreciate how it doesn't see like I'm, I feel like I'm being sold some bricks here, you know, for, for lack right. of a better phrase, when you sort of talk about the state of the team. And that sort of makes being able to follow the team that much more enjoyable in terms of the current product. But I think obviously fans, and even now in this information age where, I mean, every single day we're reading 6,000 word columns on every single team's rebuilding process, but I think fans now have that greater understanding, in particular Celtics fans who have that knowledge. And they obviously I do think that they do appreciate that the work that you're doing now and the fact that you guys have already done it before. So right. I actually... You had some very interesting things that you said to me back in January, and you also mentioned it in a piece that Ian Thompson did on NBA.com in February, and that's sort of shifting towards team building. You discuss how it's going to be possibly as challenging as ever to acquire star players, particularly through trades, because of this huge influx of money that these teams are going to be getting you know, now in the current year and the following years. Teams won't have to trade for uh, trade their star players, particularly for financial reasons, at least for the foreseeable future. You know, what are the challenges in this, and how does the organization make adjustments to that? Well, what you do is you say one way you know you can get guys and um, you know, try to stay with them at least for the first four years um, of their career is to draft them. And so we went pretty hard over on the side of, you know, we steered right over towards the draft model. And with all these picks we've accumulated from various teams, Brooklyn and Dallas and Cleveland and you know, we're trying to uh, have a whole bunch of options in the future, opportunities to to acquire guys, get their rights, and bring them in and have Brad coach them up and see see what, what happens. So we're really excited about 
our upcoming drafts. We've got the Clippers pick this year, unprotected. You know, the Clippers, they don't need, need protection on that pick anyway. They're a good team. We've got Brooklyn next year. We've got the right to swap Brooklyn, swap picks with Brooklyn the year after. Then we got another unprotected first-round pick from Brooklyn coming up. And then we have additional first-round picks from other people, first and second. So, I mean, we get a ton of picks, and um, uh, that's the way we may be able to include those picks uh, in a trade, but having those assets are is, is very valuable, and that's the way we're going to try to build the team. Yeah, I was sort of was going to get into that, especially with those draft picks. I want to talk about sort of maybe the values as those draft picks have. But you guys obviously, I thought you were almost pioneers in a way when you guys rebuilt the team from 2003 and 2007 of slowly accumulating all those assets up to make those transformative move or moves. Is that sort of the blueprint that the organization is following here? Or is this? are you guys going to be trying to remain as pragmatic as possible where it's going to be create as many options as possible for whatever road you guys can take down the line? There's so many picks, um, and we're going to be, and there's so, you know, picks now, I think in the league, picks, uh, draft choices have taken on a new value. I think people respect them more because they realize that the blockbuster trades are harder to do. Um, so they're pretty valuable things, I think. Um, we don't know if we'll pick them all or not. We're going to maintain our flexibility. Uh, I'm not going to lock myself to you, uh, into you guys right now and your listeners be, because uh, we don't know what will happen. But it's going to be very active you know, I would imagine this June um, around draft day and the free agency period. Um, we'll see what happens. It was just, it's definitely sort of interesting that too, that you also mentioned about how you believe that the draft choices are selected more. I actually kind of harken back to that first rebuild when you guys, not by me, I swear it wasn't by me. You were almost mocked by much of the media and what are the Celtics doing acquiring all these late first round draft choices, be it from what was like Detroit and Dallas and the Antoine Walker trade. And now, like you just said, those draft picks, I mean, they are value more than ever by not just you guys, but all the 29 or 30 other teams in the NBA. Is that even going to possibly accelerate in the fact that in future years when the influx of money comes in and it's going to be harder to make trades, is that only going to accelerate the value of these draft choices in, say, like 2017, 18, with all this money coming in? Right. Well, I mean, it, it, it could. Anyway, I mean, we're, we're ready for, we're, we want to be ready for anything. You know, I, I haven't totally figured out, the, you know, the new NBA that it's totally different to the old NBA um, or what's going to happen with this money that, you know, hopefully is coming in or you know, whatever. I, and I can't stand talking about money because it just takes all the fun out of the sport. But, um, but it's great news that the broadcasters have a new partnership with us and the players and that we're all sharing the money. It's great. Um, and we, we're going to do whatever we need to do and whatever we possibly can do to be back, you know, in the finals again. I've been there twice. I love it. Um, rather not be in the lottery. I'd rather be in the finals. But uh, every now and then you got to, you know, take a step back, I guess, to take a step forward. Yeah, I think just obviously if I want to make sort of just one last point on obviously the money subject since, you know, you don't want to talk about it. It's definitely going to be interesting to see, I think, in the next few years when certain players are going to be getting new contracts like like I remember Mike Hampton in baseball got like some huge contract and that sent the fans like up on a whirlwind so it'd be funny if we watch that in the NBA but I definitely want to obviously move now to the big thing obviously with the flexibility that your, your organization has created with all the ample possibilities for you to add to the talent base and thus hopefully improve the product free agency is on the table this year and more so more than any year in the history of the franchise, to be honest with you, because they've never had this kind of cap space. 
How much do you buy this notion of, oh, quote unquote, no one wants to play in Boston for all these abstract reasons like, oh, it's too cold. There's an income tax. The women are ugly. There's a 5 p.m. curfew every night where the city is placed under martial law by Soviet shoulders. Obviously, I just made that last one up. But how much do you believe? You made up that- the last two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Hey, well, you hear, I mean, everyone just, just sort of writes off free agency because of Boston being this this you know giant negative as a recruiting pitch. How much do you buy that? I well, look, I I live here by choice. I love it in Boston, and it's a very special place. I think we have some huge attributes for potential free agents. You know, the kind of guy that wants to win a ring might look at Brad. They might look at the fan support. They might look at the organizational support. They, I was reading a quote from Jay Crowder the other day in a national you know ESPN article. He said, "Man, I love it here in Boston." You know, I'm not from Boston. I, you know, I don't. I don't remember if he said, you know, basically never been here before or not. But you know, he said, basically said, I'm not from here. I love it. I love the fans. I love the organization. I love being here. I love it. And um, you know, people. You know, KG loved it, and I think it's been a really good ambassador for us, telling people um, it's a great place to play. And uh, so anyway, I'm not. Uh, it's very common for everybody to say, oh, they can't attract free agents. You know, we attracted Kevin Garnett here. He did not need to sign an extension with us. He did not need to approve that trade. And he wasn't technically a free agent, but KG picked uh, coming to Boston and won a championship here. So I always say, you know, he effectively was the first major free agent to ever come to Boston because he was able to pretty much dictate his terms of what team he wanted to go to, and he chose us. So... Um, I, you know, and I've said that on sports radio, other sports radio shows, and I'm, you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, we did attract KG here, and it worked. And I believe that the kind of guy that says, I'm in the prime of my career, and there's one thing I'm missing, I've got plenty of money, but I don't have a ring. If he looks at Brad Stevens and says, I want to play for that guy, uh, we're going to be in the mix. I always make that point, and you do mention Kevin Garnett. I definitely want to get into that with that era. But for all the people that say, oh, Boston's never attracted a free agent, they obviously forget. You know, they, they don't acknowledge it. They've never really had the cap space in history. And while the Celtics have never really attracted the quote-unquote huge free agent, they've never really lost anyone via free agency either. Sort of once these players get here, like you say, they love it. And I sort of want to talk about that Pearson Garnett era. Do you believe how much that the organization can sort of reap the future benefits in that how many people around the basketball community saw how electric Boston basketball can be in those spring months and obviously how those players were treated in their post-Boston careers, obviously particularly Pierce and Garnett. Right. You know, I do, and I think one of the legacies of that is that we attracted Brad Stevens here, you know. Um, Brad was in a very happy situation at a really fantastic university, and he had signed a long-term deal there didn't have any intention of leaving. And then he saw the Boston thing and really thought about it and decided uh, after, I think, a lot of thought and a lot of consultation with his family and looking inside, deep inside, he decided to make the move to Boston. You know, he chose us, and, uh, and we're thrilled about it. So anyway, uh, the legacy of the championship year and that period when we went to the, you know, we had one team, I think we started 27-2. and two. Uh, in 09, you know, we had some good teams, not just in 08, yeah, but in 9 and 10, um, you know, that that legacy is hopefully going to pay benefits uh, to us going forward because people see it can really work and can be a lot of fun in Boston. Is Brad sort of going to be that number one sell point for the team? Obviously, you've got Brad, 
you've got obviously like we're talking about how exciting Boston basketball can be in the spring months, how the fans can embrace the team. You mentioned obviously from 2008 to 2010, even 2012, there was that great moment at the end of the that game six against Miami wasn't the best game, but we, you know, obviously the fans sticking around to sort of root on the team in game se- to go to game seven. So I'm, I'm going to have a little fun here, actually. Let's pretend I'm 6'8", 250. I run a 40. I got a 50-inch vertical. I got the leadership qualities of Alexander the Great, Hannibal Patton, all rolled into one. What are you selling me besides Brad Stevens when you sort of come into my living room and tell me you want me to play for the Boston Celtics? Well, I, you know, I'm just not, you know, we're not begging people, okay? People have to want to come here. Um, and, uh, you know, what I find encouraging is, you know, LeBron went to Miami, obviously, and won championships down there, but then he went back to Cleveland. Cleveland's got more taxes, worse weather. You know, Cleveland's probably a lot more like Boston than Miami. And, um, and, and LeBron chose to, you know, go back, and, and for the right reasons, you know, for great reasons, in my opinion. I really respect that decision. Although I'd love to play him in the playoffs somehow and I'd love to beat him, obviously. But um, uh, anyway, I, I, this whole thing of, that, that we've got to beg people and we've got our hat in our hands and please come. You know, if you don't want to be a Boston Celtic, you're not going to be a Boston Celtic. You know, we're not going to drag you here. We want you to be here. You want, we want you to choose us. We've got a chance potentially uh, to be part of a, 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 a team that's on the way back, hopefully, to being a contender. Hopefully not very long. And, uh, you know, we actually want people to be asking us to possibly consider them. Uh, so, anyway, I, I, I mean, I feel I'm, I'm like my back's up a little bit because this is the premier organization uh, or history, certainly, in the NBA. And one of the finest uh, legacies on and off the court, on and off the playing field in the world history of sport. And uh, you ought to be, you know, people see that. You know, Kevin Garnett saw it. When we introduced him at that press conference back in 07, he took an extra 15 minutes before the press conference even started. And he went on his own out into the court, which was darkened at the time, and he looked up at each banner, and he soaked it in, all 16 banners, and he thought about each of the banners. And he said, you know, mentally, he's going to hang a 17th banner up there. And then he came into the press conference, having delayed it all 15 minutes. I mean, that's the person we want here, someone who gets it, someone that Red Auerbach would be proud to coach. And so uh, they're out there, and, uh, and we'll go get them. That's a good way definitely to sort of finish this up, and that was a great final point that you made because I agree with you 100%. Obviously, I think that the media, in a way, I blame the media. We always like to blame the media has sort of almost created this perception that, like we said, Boston's almost like East Berlin, and you have to <laughs> beg yeah. people to stay here and beg people to come here. Yeah, whenever people, you know, get that way, I either I'm sitting at the game, I look up at the banner, or I pull my ring out and put it on. You know, I got no problem with these people. It's fine. <laughs> I love it. And you can also look up, up, up top, the number 10 retired jersey, JoJo love White, it. now officially going to the Hall of Fame. Got to give you some words on that. I just couldn't be happier. We've got a great induction uh, ceremony coming up this fall. It'll be Tommy Heinsohn going in again, this time as a coach. And then JoJo White going in, a long time, uh, uh, you know, overlooked, you know, much deserved. And what a, what a great, great, what a two great people. I mean, JoJo, Olympic gold medalist and, uh, you know, two-time champion and, um, you know, finals MVP. Just in a, and just a great guy and couldn't be happier for JoJo and his family. 
And obviously, we think what he put like 54 minutes in that uh, infamous triple overtime game against Phoenix. I think that might yeah. even be his most impressive feat of them all. <laughs> but Rick Rosebeck, lead owner of the Boston Celtics, thank you so much for taking the time here on Celtics Beat. Really appreciate uh, what you do every week, taking the time and uh, and being a fan and being um, the, you and everybody else who follows this team. We you know we do this for you guys and we're all in it together. And uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. Well, I think I can safely speak on behalf of millions of Celtics fans to send their thanks your way as well as the organizations in advance for those kind words. Also, no qualms about hanging in there, if you will. I mean, hey, you and your group, they've proven they can do it before, and everything in this process is running smoothly enough to instill enough confidence in the fan base that it can be done again. And more importantly, at least from someone who truly cherishes the success of the franchise on the court and savoring its illustrious history, but the kind of organization that the Celtics strive to be off the court in the community as well. Yeah, we're, we're all very lucky, and I'm very appreciative to be part of it. Thanks again, Wick. Well, I cannot say I appreciate those kind words, especially considering how much fun I have hosting the show week in and week out. But even more as a fan of Boston Celtics basketball, even more so love those fighting words. And yes, I must admit, I kind of did egg him on a little bit. But hey, that's what we've discussed here with our audience and in various groups and on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. And what has seemingly been one of the dominating storylines for the Celtics, particularly off the court here, as so much that we discuss with the Celtics Beat on the court, especially lately with the playoff push. And off the court, be it discussing the future well-being of the franchise Obviously, we, or I for that matter, have used this show and my columns that run every Sunday on CLNSRadio.com to reiterate the very things Wick has pointed out. And yes, the frustration that even he feels with certain attitudes towards the Celtics rebuilding and this summer in free agency. Obviously, now with the recent success of the team on the court, particularly as we've watched this team evolve since that West Coast trip, when Brad Stevens held the team back for four days there in Los Angeles, I don't know what it was. There might have been a bonding experience similar to an October in 2007 in Rome, but there's no question that that was the turning point for this team. But since that stretch of real solid basketball since the end of January, the winning has served as a confirmation for many, myself included, that this ship is going to reach its destination in the smoothest sail as possible too, for that matter. I know the winning has certainly helped for me and has certainly shaped a far clearer outlook for the franchise, at least on my end. Listen, when there was an air of negativity that did surround this organization not too long ago, I know I used this show in my weekly columns to give reasons why I felt that eventually there'd be a turning point. I still held out optimism that this franchise would get back to where their, the team was at least competitive again, but more so to qualm. The impatience, like I at least wanted to see this process that the Celtics organization is used to at least having a chance. But hey, I'm not going to lie. I had doubts. I had worries. I had concerns that there was a roster imbalance and certain players that were brought in were contributing to such roster imbalance. Namely, I named Evan Turner for run at the beginning of the season and before the season. I was dead wrong there. But that such roster imbalance would stunt the growth of the team and in a way, I, I guess I was sort of right, but obviously that was a part of a greater picture here. But I was concerned, really, that there was no veterans also here to mentor the young, the young players. And I feared that if the years did go by, then a negative culture could set in 
as it has done so with so many franchises that see themselves entrenched in NBA purgatory for years on end. But hey, once they did make those trades, they made a lot of moves in December and January there. And as Wick mentioned, that was a very tough time for the players in and around this team and the coaching staff. But once they did make those moves, they brought in some key pieces like a Jay Crowder and obviously an Isaiah Thomas. But I thought almost as important was smoothing out the roster so that way Coach Stevens could finally get a team. He could manage more efficiently and players had real opportunities to carve out niches and roles for themselves. And it's just turned right up from there. And now, now that it has and now that you do take that step back and take an appraisal of the organization and where it stands with all the currency that they have in their rainy day fund, I mean, I can tell you right now, I am willing to put a substantial sum of my money that this rebuilding project will be a resounding success and that that next era of sustained excellence will arrive and possibly sooner than people think here for the Celtics. And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. Obviously, many fans do. You heard Wick talk about how the patrons have been filling up the garden recently, and not just me or us Celtics fans, but people in and around the NBA too. They feel this way. One of the things that I've noticed, and I discussed this with Jackie McMullen on Celtics Beat a few weeks ago, is how opposing coaches, players, and GMs seemingly complement aspects of the Celtics in many different ways and do so unabatedly. Some examples that I can give off the top of my head, I know Jackie mentioned on this show, and she put it in one of her features that ran on ESPN Boston a few weeks ago, about how Pistons coach Stan Van Gunny went out of his way to laud Brad Stevens' demeanor, like, talking about how he's the same guy if the Celtics are up by 20, if they're down by 20, and he did so, but he it was out of his way. And I know from my personal experience, when I talked with Chris Wallace on my piece regarding Jeff Green last month, it was the same thing. He marveled at the job this management is doing and at some of their also young players on the team. And he did so without me stuffing a microphone in his face and go, oh, hey, Chris, what are your thoughts on the Celtics rebuild or Celtics player X or Y? Because, of course, when you do that, no one is going to respond with, oh, they stink. But it is very telling when these people make it a point to make mentions of the work Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge or the ownership is doing in help making this team or how the players are playing on the court. They're making a point to discuss this, like I said, without anyone from the media pushing them to do so. I know Jared Weiss. He said the same thing to me when he and the rest of the CLNS team are down there at the Garden or in the locker room with opposing players and coaches before and after every game, which you can check out for yourself in their entirety on YouTube at youtube.com slash CLNS radio, or I've talked with Jay King. From time to time, the great beat reporter who covers the Celtics for Mass Live. I know that stuck out to him as well as many others, the national media. I mean, it seems like day after day, some of the finest, not just writers, but basketball minds, be it Ian Thompson, Zach Lowe, Sean Devaney, Paul Flannery, you read their work where they talk to many in NBA circles, and it's hard for one not to get the vibe where they are ever so confident and give many reasons as to why there was another, there's going to be this another Boston Celtics renaissance, if you will, another gilded age, a Pax Romana. And that's why there is a growing and growing positive vibe that surrounds this organization. But let's not kid ourselves either. I mean, there's still this contingency out there in the fan base and sadly in the local media particularly who still have like these doubts and who will bury anyone who shares the optimistic outlook that some of us have for the franchise with these contrarian questions or statements like, 
Oh, how are the Celtics going to get a star? Who are they going to trade for? Is it beneficial to make the playoffs when they should get a higher lottery pick? Are the Celtics sticking themselves in the middle? Can Boston attract a major free agent when they never have in their history? Blah, 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 blah. And while there are these people that feel this way, I don't know. First off, they are... They are opinions, and these people are certainly entitled to such opinions as they are entitled to opinions on anything in this country, and I'm not going to dive into some exotic psychological study as to why these people possess such opinions, but I can safely and regrettably, or arrogantly for that matter, say that they are wrong. And you know, I know one of the things that jumped out to me when I had Dan Shaughnessy on this show back in the middle of January, and we talked about the Celtics rebuild then— I got the vibe from him, and now I certainly get this from others who share his mantra, so to speak, that people sort of rue the process of building teams in the NBA and the factor that luck seems to play such a major role in success or misfortunes, for that matter, of building an NBA team or an NBA champion. So it's like that they hate the fact that one or two players can substantially alter the paths of a franchise. And on that end, they are right. There are many examples of that in history. Teams, teams do get lucky, sometimes even more so than they are good, and can just sort of fall their way into building an elite NBA team. But here's the thing. That's life, too. That isn't just basketball. Every successful entity or individual in life likely relied on circumstance in one way or another to be where they are. There's no entity in history where one can look and say, wow, if this happened or this didn't happen, I mean, it's more so than others for, for the case. And here we are with the Celtics. Some people, it's like that stigma from that era, which I covered in Fall of the Boston Celtics, which obviously you can check out, seeonusradio.com slash LHR book. When I talk about you know that era, it still looms on some, and there's this fear, this Grim Reaper fear that bad luck is going to screw the Celtics over once again. And with it, everything becomes this lose-lose proposition for the Celtics. You see certain fans now, they say, oh, they shouldn't make the postseason. They need a higher pick. They need to get lucky in the lottery, but they never get lucky in the lottery. Oh, what are they going to do? Oh, my goodness. And Unless they point out also, too, that luck, it goes both ways. It doesn't go against the Celtics all the time. You know, If you want to talk about making the postseason and not making the postseason, here's something that I like to bring up. One can argue that in 2004, a season in which the Celtics a terrible Celtics team qualified for the postseason. They made the playoffs as an eight seed. They got decimated in the first round by the Indiana Pacers, lost all the games by 20 points, and one can say, wow, what a waste of time making the postseason. But they got lucky doing so making the postseason because if they had missed the playoffs, who knows, instead of picking Al Jefferson at 15 and thus acquiring Kevin Garnett with Al Jefferson as the centerpiece a few years later, instead of Al Jefferson... Maybe the Celtics would have selected someone like Robert Swift or Luke Jackson with that higher draft choice. You don't know. So in that aspect, with luck, listen, it's not this mumbo-jumbo thing here. Just one, You just have to let things play out sometimes, not just for the Celtics, but obviously in life. Some things you, know, you can't control. They go your way sometimes. They don't go your way the other times. But the goal really is, is to get you know, your destiny in your hands as much as possible. And listen— it's hard not to share those concerns, the factor that fortune can play, but as stated, it's out of everyone's control. We love it when, you know, it's good, but we hate it tenfold when it's not so good. And as I've previously stated just recently and, and on many shows, I paraphrase Machiavelli on this, uh, 
You know, dealing with the role of luck one can play in life is for one to be as pragmatic as possible and for one to create as many options as possible, thus enhancing certain percentages for themselves in which one can control their own destiny. And that's exactly what the Celtics are doing. That is what they what is truly to love about this organization in my eyes is that they are going about their plan here in that the Celts are creating all these options for themselves by acquiring these draft choices, by creating all of this flexibility, by trying to instill an accountable culture within the organization while at the same time trying to develop younger individual talent. But by doing all of this, the Celtics are creating for themselves an array of avenues to improve the team, be it today, tomorrow, two weeks from now, two years from now, five years from now, whenever that opportunity arises. And thus, by doing that, they are minimizing the role that fortune and circumstance can play in getting where the fans want them to get to, and I know where the organization wants to get to. Listen, they're not eliminating fortune entirely, but that's just not possible to do so. And hopefully fortune does play a role here, and hopefully it's good fortune for sure, but they're putting this more and more in their hands. They're not all in how some teams we don't won't have to mention are all in on ping pong balls going their way or all in on signing free agent X this summer or free agent Y next summer. If the Celtics can get a thing or two to go their way, great. If not, there's likely to be another opportunity for them to make something happen at another point. They've created for themselves scenarios in which this is more in their hands, which is what fans should want, especially since I think it's safe to say that we can universally agree on this, that the Boston Celtics are in very capable hands, be it a commitment from Wick Grosbeck and his ownership group, the proven management of Danny Ainge and his team, and now what we're seeing with Brad Stevens. We definitely want that. And yes, that's why I, along with so many others, truly feel the way we do about the team now and more importantly, its future. That's why, like I said, I am willing to bet a substantial sum of my fortune, providing, of course, Steve Wynn is able to do his thing and a few other things break that way as well. We won't get into that. But why I'm sure, so sure of a not-so-distant future success for this team and why it's so puzzling, to say the very least, that people fret over some pointless daily occurrences as to why such and such could inhibit the Celtics from this organization from getting to where we hope it will once again get to. I also think, too, that this negativity sort of spills its way onto so many different aspects in terms of analyzing the team, and it's so much of it is based on either nothing or, like I said, even more so that the stigma that still looms from that era of where the bad breaks didn't really, you know, they had all those bad breaks not go their way, that these fears, they make up this pessimism that certain individuals have, and none of that in my vantage point becomes more clear than if one to dare put the Boston Celtics in free agency in the same sentence. It's, like, repugnant in the minds of some. I just don't get it, and I guess it's safe to say that the only one who's more frustrated with this when one just writes off free agency for the Celtics than me is Wick Rosebeck himself. Obviously, you heard himself in that interview. But like he said, he just flashes his ring and looks up at the banner if someone wants to sort of just talk about it in the manner that some people do. Unfortunately for me, I don't have a championship ring I can put on. But hey, I got this show, the number one podcast on the web, which covers the Boston Celtics, Celtics Beat. Sponsored by AudibleLinda.com, AudiblePodcast.com slash Celtics to claim your free audiobook. Lynda.com for your free 10-day trial. Perfect time to get that little plug in there. But 
back to talking about the Celtics, obviously, in this ridiculous notion, and I've written uh, many of reasons in my columns on CLNSradio.com from time and time again that the Celtics shouldn't bother with free agents because no free agent will sign with the Celtics. It's ridiculous. It's based on very little. And when I had Jackie McMullen on the show, who we all have great respect for, who I have tr- infinite amounts of respect for, the great basketball columnist over the years, great author of many books, has had so many honors bestowed upon her, and for good reason, by the Basketball Hall of Fame, many other outlets that I can only dream of. But I challenged her on this show a few weeks ago when she discussed how she doesn't think the Celtics will be able to use free agency as a means to drastically improve the team because, yes, she used that, you know, age-old statement that many are exposed to from time and time again of, quote, you know, players don't want to play in Boston, and that's evident in the fact that the Celtics have never signed a major free agent in their prime, in their history. And now now that we're here, I know I've discussed this on the show, be it myself, with the guests. I know I've written a few columns on it, but I, I just want to squash this once and for all. And I mean, there's so many places where to start with this with the subject. And why I, th- I think, to reiterate something I said earlier in my discussion with Wick, is that the Celtics have never had sufficient enough cap space to sign said major free agent in their prime. In fact, they've only operated under the salary cap in their history in just a few summers during the mid-1990s. That's it. And even then, while I know everyone likes to crap on the Celtics signing Dominique Wilkins or Dana Barrows, the fact is, at the time, those were two players who were, in fact, upper echelon free agents during their, you know, the time they were free agents. Those were two players who were one of the better players in the league. I mean, did they work out here? No. I mean, Dana Barrows fit in here. No. Did Dominique Wilkins, did his decline sort of accelerate, I guess, but... You look at Dana Barrows at the time. He was in his late 20s coming off a season in which he was an all-star. He was a top-tier free agent. And he, yes, his decline accelerated in Boston. There's no question about it. But remember, he was coming off a very good season in 1994 in which he was leading the Atlanta Hawks to the best record in the East before he was traded solely based on the fact that the Hawks didn't believe they had the money to resign him. And he was also coming off an appearance on the 94 U.S. men's national team. So, yes, I mean, there's that. I'm not going to say, I mean, those were two players that enjoyed being in Boston. But let's dive in a little more detail here. And that's what we need to do rather than just resort to the thought process of simpletons of, oh, the Celtics have never signed a major free agent, but therefore it ends there without further looking at the circumstances as to why that's so. I mean, let's look at free agency in the NBA Free agency in basketball, it really isn't like, say, free agency in baseball, where you've seen guys over the years like Reggie Jackson and Barry Bonds and A-Rod and Manny Ramirez and others, pantheon talents at the peak of their powers, going to the highest bidder. Or even the NFL, free agency in basketball has historically proven to be far different than other sports due to mainly how the salary structure and the rules of the cap are set up in which... If we were to discuss, that would be a whole other show. But, I mean, free agency in the NBA is more so a means to add to your team rather than the focal standpoint of realtering the course of your franchise. Sure, everyone wants to think of these great free agent hotspots, New York, Miami, the Lakers, Phoenix, I mean, even Dallas, I guess. I mean, those are the cities or the organizations in the minds of many who feel where all these NBA players are falling over themselves to play for. And most of these organizations have had relative success in attracting talent to play for them. I mean, the Miami Heat, obviously their big summer with LeBron and Bosch back in 2010. But after that, their other true successes were guys like Eddie Jones and Brian Grant in the summer, the Mavericks. I mean, who was their big fish? Eric Dampier, Chandler Parsons. And for all these people who say to themselves, oh, everybody wants to be in New York. Everybody wants to be a Nick. 
The Knicks have whiffed in free agency time and time again. And why is it that no one uses the O? The Knicks have never signed a major free agent in their prime argument the way they do with the Celtics. Why, why is that the case? I mean, seriously, look at it. Who ha- Who is the Knicks' ma- major free agent coup in their history? Is Amare Stoudemire, who was their fourth option in the infamous summer of 2010? Allen Houston, Chris Childs. I mean, that's it. That's their list. That's their free agent list of of everybody wants to play for the Knicks. I mean, do you maybe not sometimes stop and think to yourselves that it could be the New York media drumming up rumors of how all these players want to play for the Knicks? Do you ever? No, that never happens, right? The media, the New York media, doesn't sort of peddle rumors, sports, entertainment. politics, whatever. No, not the New York media. They never do such a thing. But I mean, back to, you know, NBA basketball here, that just goes back to what I said about the process of free agency in the NBA, though. And in general, it's not an indictment on any of these teams and how it is very rarely, and I mean very rarely, utilized in that transformative move for your franchise. Look, in the history of the NBA, only two of the top 30 players of all time have signed with different teams as free agents in the prime of their careers. Shaq and LeBron, that's it. That's the list of the top 30. I mean, you've had guys like Patrick Ewing and Moses Malone. They've signed with some different teams at the tail end of their careers. But in terms of players in their prime, the list is minuscule. And if you want to throw in Steve Nash in there as someone who totally changed the fortunes of the franchise, by all means, feel free to do so. Although he's a fringe top 50 player of all time. And not only that, it's safe to say that when he signed with the Suns in 04, no one believed he'd have that kind of footprint on the Suns franchise or NBA landscape. But he did, so if you want to add him on the list, that's fine too. But that's it. That's three guys and the three players ever. The great free agents or the great free agent signings in the NBA are those that you add to what you have going for you. They enhance what you have in place or are building for. I mean, recent examples are guys like Paul Millsap in Atlanta or David West with the Pacers a couple of years ago who brought obviously great talent but a tremendous amount of leadership and veteran presence to a locker room. And for the Celtics, I mean, the team, any fan, they should love to get a player along those that caliber this summer who could have that kind of impact that those two names I just mentioned had for their franchise. Celtics fans should be doing cartwheels if Boston can lure a player along that level to the organization. And you heard Wick. He's confident in that the Celtics can acquire such a player and that the organization doesn't have to or utterly, they don't have to beg to do so. And I like to think that someone like him, like Wick Rosebeck, involved in the daily process, like he is, you know, the lead owner of the team, I like to think that that said confidence that he has is not based on nothing. It was obviously very interesting, and I thought it was great to hear as well. Kevin Garnett in his post-Celtics playing days, in Wick's words, serving as an ambassador for the organization and for the city itself. I mean, how can any Celtics fan or media member who is privileged enough to cover this franchise like I am not feel excited upon hearing that? And I think it's safe to say as well that there were likely other people who were associated with that era who commanded much respect amongst their peers who are very likely doing the same thing. I know as a Bostonian, I am very proud upon hearing that as well. I remember it was not too long ago, really just go back to 2007, when there were reports of certain players refusing to resign with the Celtics if they were traded here, and many in the media, both locally and nationally, who 
brought up the Boston's checkered pass with racial tensions as a reason why, and whether or not that was the case then, I personally doubt it. I like to think it was more based on the fact that the Celtics were a 24-win team at the time, but it was certainly feasible. I mean, I remember growing up as a child of the 90s and asking, uh, Dad, I just read in Baseball Weekly, David Justice and Marquise Grissom have clauses in their contract that they can't be traded in Boston. How come? And my dad obviously would just not want to answer that question being as young as I was, but eventually I did find out, and... We like to think that that uh, has been put to pasture, and we like to think, as I mentioned with Wick, how beneficial that era with not just the championship, although that was nice, (laughs) but how fans got behind that team the way they did for so many years and how they treated the contributors to that era during and after their Celtics careers and how it's going to serve as a pitch that playing for the Celtics and playing in Boston in general— the fans just treat you right. Not just Celtics fans with the Celtics, but look at how Red Sox fans, Bruins fans, Patriots fans have treated their champions over the years, this decade and a half of unprecedented professional sports success in this city. And how athletes who aren't here that can very well be something that they would be want to be a part of. And it sounds clear to me that the organization know that is something that professional athletes value. And that is why the Celtics can be players in free agency as soon as this summer and why I believe they will. I mean, I'm not saying right now the Celtics will sign free agent X, Y, or Z. In fact, they might not at all because we just don't know what lies ahead. There may be another avenue that may be more advantageous for the Celtics to take that may improve their team greater in their mind, be it a trade. And, you know, obviously that could take a free agency option off the table due to reasons such as salary or whatever. But then there's also, at least if we are singularly talking about this summer, hey, as discussed, the percentages of free agency or signing a big-name free agent in the NBA, it's slim anyways. And for the Celtics, it, it's not going to be because Boston is this modern-day East Berlin that some people like to think of it as so. It will just be due to low percentages that come with it. So in a way, if there's some gearing up for a lose-lose proposition like the Celtics, they just can't win in the minds of some. If they don't sign a major free agent this summer, you know you're going to get, see, I told you so, they don't want to play in Boston. If they do sign someone, I think it's safe to say that no matter who they sign, even if it is whomever one thinks is like the best free agent in this class, you'll get a, oh, they aren't a LeBron or Shaq. This isn't a major free agent who will change the franchise without, of course, acknowledging that those free agents only hit the open market something like 0.1% of the time in NBA history anyway. So not saying Boston, if all things are equal, isn't as attractive of a destination to play and or live for these players as New York or L.A., but it doesn't have to be. It's just ridiculous to write the Boston Celtics off as a free agent destination. There's just no basis behind the notion to do so. And at the same time, like I said, the city isn't East Berlin, a totalitarian darkness, as Ronald Reagan once said. And as we know, I mentioned how all things are, are equal. But guess what? All things aren't equal. Players want to win. For the majority of these players, it's about winning first and foremost. And if it isn't, I think it's safe to draw conclusions after listening to Wick that the Celtics don't want those players in the first place and for good reason. It's one thing if the nightlife and the weather is a factor where you want to live, but if it's the driving reason as to where you want to play, as to why a player wants to play in City X, well then by all means do so. Those aren't the kinds of players you want anyway. So he brought up a great example with LeBron going back to Cleveland and it was a nice story and but we know really why he quote-unquote went home. When he saw an opportunity that was more attractive than what Miami had, period. It was a more attractive roster. End of story. And I'd like to think that the Celtics are becoming more attractive by the day anyways. They've got an obsessive ownership team, proven management group, a coach that is commanding respect in and around this team, a great fan base. I mean, with each passing moment, I think it gets better. You look at the roster with some talent developing and enticing pieces already in place. 
plus all the assets and flexibility to improve the team down the line as well. And I am confident in why numerous respected members in the media or in other basketball circles share similar beliefs. I think it's almost assuredly safe to say this is going to be an active and riveting summer that will command much of our attention. And hey, as a fan, let alone a host of a weekly show which covers the Celtics, I can't say I'm more excited about that. We will certainly be entertained at the very least. I think we can all agree with that. Just as we are now, which I think is a complete bonus with what's going on, the court with this team, how they've played, putting themselves with a chance to get into this postseason this year. We'll get into that. Only got a few minutes to do so. We're going to have to skip around the NBA in five today, but let's pause briefly for station identification. This is Jeff Kane, and thank you for listening to CNLS Radio, powered by Lynda.com, Peak Organic Brewing Company, and most importantly, you, our loyal listeners. Patriots Nation and NFL fans, you know free agency is upon us. CLNS Radio will have you covered with our online content on CLNSRadio.com as well as on the Patriots Beat Podcast, available for download every Friday on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't let your head spin out of control. Get the NFL coverage and Patriots coverage you need right here on CLNS Radio and CLNSRadio.com. Okay, let's get at this. We only got a few minutes here, thanks to my little diatribe back there. But ho-hum, another successful week for this team. Another perfect week for the Boston Celtics, albeit they were only two games. And that was nice to say, the very least, I know, at least for me. And probably for the team as well, they must have enjoyed that as opposed to what was becoming the norm. We had four, five games in seven nights, or four out of five, the back-to-backs, etc., etc. But two real solid road wins set on the show last week, that Detroit game. That was a game that unequivocally had to have and I thought they were going to come out strong they did they came right out of the gates there they built a nice lead and Detroit being in that desperate situation they were playing for their season they made a run they were at home but Boston or Isaiah Thomas more accurately to put to put it really just put the foot down on their throat and close the deal it was a great great win particularly after a long break I thought there was a chance that could be a factor in terms of losing their rhythm a bit that was not the case they came out they took care of business got a pivotal win and that carried over to Friday night, another tremendous win. One of the best wins of the season, in my opinion. Arguably the best, I'm not sure if it was, but it was a great win. Great team effort up and down the roster. Evan Turner, like I said earlier, boy, was I wrong on him. He's doing so many little things for this team, particularly lately. And every once in a while, he can just come out and give you a complete effort, as he did on Friday. The 13 assists, I mean, th- th- that really does speak for itself. He also, along with Marcus Smart, having what I thought was the best game of his young career so far on Friday, and I can safely say he's going to have more games like that in his future. But I thought that was a very important game to have as well, to win in Cleveland, to instill even more confidence in this young team, particularly on the road. Now, six straight wins. I think that's definitely important to grab a win over the Cavs there. You even heard Wick back in the interview. Didn't want to get him too much, but he had mentioned he that he, you know, he hopes to see Cleveland. He's hoping for LeBron in Boston in the spring once again, and we all are too. Actually, any postseason would be great, but there's no doubt that getting LeBron, I think, would be a lot of fun. But where I want to disagree slightly with Wick is that while he's still in a wait-and-see mode, I am not. I am declaring this season a success no matter what happens over these final three games, and no matter what happens in the hopefully a postseason appearance. Obviously, Look at not just the individuals on this team and how they've improved, but I think that a culture of accountability, it is there now. I think we can safely say that that's one of the hardest things to build, particularly when you aren't winning as frequently as you like to. But you look at how hard everyone is working, how obsessed every coach and every player on this roster is with winning every game, finish the season, making the playoffs. You heard Wick talk about how Jared Sollinger worked out at least twice today to get back at this. That's tremendous to hear. 
These players, it's so evident now. They want it. They're driven. And when you get that, the improvement is just inevitable. And I think this team, what they did this year in evaluating this whole project of restoring the greatness of this organization, it is so far ahead of schedule. Whether they make the playoffs, it's still up for grabs here, starting today in a matinee against the Cavs, 3 o'clock. Then fan appreciation night at the Garden on Tuesday against the Rappers before they wrap the season up in Milwaukee uh, the following night. Whether they make the playoffs or not, it's all set in stone in my opinion. This season, it's a tremendous success. And whether they do appear in the 2015 NBA playoffs or not, I can safely predict that even if they don't make the playoffs, this will be the last time the Celtics are out of the playoffs for a long, long time. And speaking of time... We're out of it. Sadly, our time is up and the show is over. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on Honest Radio on Facebook at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat to keep up with the show. Also, we're on Celtics Beat on CLNS on Google+. Plus. Like to thank our guest, Wick Grossbeck, to say we are ever so thankful for him to spare us time. And his busy schedule will be the greatest of understatements. Love to thank him as well as our sponsors, Lynn.com and Audible, for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you this Sunday, hopefully for a playoff edition of Celtics Beat. But we'll be back here regardless on the 19th of April with another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.